Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The 338th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. This is the Four Corners Podcast. I'm the luckiest guy in the world, I've said that, to be in Chapel Hill, to be at the University of North Carolina. We win 54 to 53, North Carolina did it. North Carolina wins the championship. With 20 seconds left to play, goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! They're on the way to win it! Worthy five! The Tar Heels are going to win the national championship! Weber, front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout, they're out of timeout. Technical foul, technical foul on Michigan. They're out of timeout. Front court, Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to head, long outside shot. Short, rebounded. May, it's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72, and how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. I've been the luckiest coach in the world. Pump fake for three. Too strong on the shot. That's it. The Tar Heels are the national dadgum champions. Carolina has been tested and tried and been proven successful through all the years. And the way that we will play will be the Carolina way. My love for North Carolina, I mean, I love this school, I love these fans, and I love everything about it, and I would I would die for this school, I really would. Here are your hosts, Josh Marlowe and Anthony Pagnotta. Hello and welcome to another live edition of the Four Corners Podcast. Josh and Anthony, back with you guys once again tonight. Here to recap, Carolina's 96-81 win at home over Virginia Tech earlier this afternoon. Um, as Carolina won their 20th game of the season, already matching last year's win total. Um, and they improved to 12-3 and in the ACC heading into uh, a week off ahead of the all-important Virginia game, which Carolina will be on the road for next weekend. We're going to hear – we're here to do what we always do when we recap a game. We'll go through the box score. You'll hear from head coach Huber Davis – before we give more thoughts, more takeaways on the win, but um, let's not waste any time because this is a fun one for Carolina and for us to talk about. Carolina won this game 96-81 on the, the heels of Armando Baycott's 25-point, 12-rebound, double-double, his 81st double-double as a Tar Heel, inching closer to passing first Ralph Sampson and then Tim Duncan for the most double-doubles in ACC history. It's his third 25-10 and 10 performance of the season, his seventh 25-10 and 10 game of his career, and it's no coincidence that Carolina is 7-0 and 0 when the big fella puts up those types of numbers. And all in all, his performance highlights a game where Carolina shot 51% from the field, 83% from the foul line, scored 54 points in the paint, um, and it culminated in the best this team has looked since they beat Duke in the all-important rivalry game two weeks ago in Chapel Hill. 
Yeah, I mean, this is one of the better offensive performances that you could have asked for. Uh, and, they kind of, you know, this was a game where, uh, you know, you kind of needed that a little bit because offensively you had done some good things here recently. I mean, the other night you shot 48% on the road at Syracuse, but it still felt like there were times where this offense wasn't giving you what you needed. They were turning the ball over too much. They were, uh, you know, taking some bad shots. Today, you didn't see that. I I didn't feel like this team, I mean, they turned the ball over nine times, five of them by Elliott Cadell, which is, you know, not the most encouraging thing. But everybody else did a really good job of taking care of the basketball. And the shot selection was amazing. And, yeah, Armando Baycott was outstanding. This was something that we knew going in. Carolina had an advantage in. This was just not a great Virginia Tech team inside. And Carolina took advantage of it. And credit to them for continuing to go back to it. Because one of the things that we've mentioned throughout conference play is that this team, just for some reason, they're they're not willing to stick with going inside as often as we would like them to. Today, that was not the case. They made sure that Armando got his touches. And, you know, with two guys in foul trouble down low um, for the majority of the day and then a third late on in the game, Virginia Tech had no chance and Carolina did a great job of taking advantage of their weaknesses all afternoon. I think the one thing you've got to credit Huber Davis and this staff for um, this season is they, they haven't allowed losses to really pile up and carry over into another game um you know of course you had the back-to-back losses against UConn and Kentucky back in December but outside of that you know Carolina they've they've responded after getting beaten um and Hubert always talks about you got to pick yourself up off the floor and we'll see what we're made of and this team has responded after every time they've been punched and I think you know today was important because you, you get this win um, you know, you're now three and three in your last six. You kind of even things out, but now you got a week off, and you wanted to go into this week off with some positive energy and good vibes because the next time you take the court, it will be for first place, and it'll be in a game where you only see that team once, and the winner is going to have the upper hand as you as the regular season race comes down to the end. And so, um, you know, I, I love the way that this team responded. That they came out out of the gate, ready to go. And the thing about it is Virginia Tech kept trying to get themselves back into the game, back into the game. It was, it was 50 to 39 at halftime. Um, Carolina made it quickly a 16-point game out of the break. Virginia Tech would cut it to, I think, as close as seven. But that was as close as they could get. And every time that you know, Virginia Tech would rattle off two, four, six straight points. Carolina would, would respond with a 4-0 or a, a, a 6-0 sport of their own, in large part because they kept, gave, they kept giving the ball to Armando. And it was just one of those just one of those games where every time he touched the ball, something good happened. You look at the 25 points, that was, that was evident. But his ability to pass out of double teams – Carolina's able to move the ball from good shots to great shots. Just very reminiscent of the type of basketball we saw this team play from about the end of December up until the end of January. That about month stretch where Carolina played at just a really high level. You saw you saw glimpses of that today. 
Um, and, you know, we, we talked during the last five games where Carolina was two and three before today that, look, the slippage was going to happen. It, it's really hard to play at that level for an extended period of time. Um, the only two teams that have have separated themselves, and that's UConn and Purdue. And uh, if you saw what UConn did today to Marquette, um, a team that's very capable of making the Final Four, um, you know, those teams are just in a different stratosphere right now than even a team like Carolina that does have legitimate Final Four aspirations. And so, um, you know, what you want to do at this time of the year is start – building towards your, the best basketball of the season. And I felt like today was a really good first step in that direction for Carolina. You take a look at the box score, um, and it's a it's a pretty one for, for Carolina. They shot 51% from the field. They were 35 of 68. Meanwhile, despite Virginia Tech scoring 81 points, they shot just 42%. Um, Carolina did overcome a 7 of 21 night from the three-point line. Um, but on the flip side, Virginia Tech was just 7 of 26, including they were 1 of 12, I believe, in the second half. From the free throw line, Carolina efficient 19 of 23. Virginia Tech was 18 of 20. Um, turnovers, Carolina did commit nine of them, which led to 20 Virginia Tech points. Uh, luckily, that did not come back to bite Carolina in the rear end. On the flip side, just six Virginia Tech turnovers, but 13 Carolina points off of them. Um, the rebounding margin, look, we knew Virginia Tech, not a good rebounding team like Syracuse. You need to exploit that. Carolina didn't on Tuesday. They did tonight. They out-rebounded Virginia Tech 43-31, including 29-23 to on the defensive glass, 14-8 to on the offensive glass, and they turned those 14 14- offensive rebounds into 17 second chance points the bench points carolina's bench did it dig it out score 31 to 15 Poteet and former tar heel tyler nickel combined for 29 of them for virginia tech but i did feel like uh, the 15 bench points were a positive considering um how little you've gotten from the reserves in the last couple of games points in the paint carolina's favor 54 36 Fast break points went Carolina's way, 8-2. to two. Um, And Carolina had 18 assists on their 35 made baskets. Virginia Tech with 13 assists on their 28 made baskets. Let's now transition and play some audio. We'll start first with uh, Hubert Davis, who spoke in the postgame um, on the game that R.J. Davis had. R.J. scored 20 points. Six of 13 from the field, and it was his most efficient outing in right about a month. And he talked about how happy he was to see RJ to get back to playing the way we've grown accustomed to seeing him play. I'm telling you, that's just a good player. When you look at, you know, 13 shots and 20 points off of 13 shots, that's a good player. You know, and uh, five assists, and not just, just – Gets to the free throw line. That's a good player. And you're right. You're right. You know, he's limited, limited focus, and his patience of understanding that you know he's going to get his going to get his looks. And also understanding that you know we wanted to feature Armando and just dominate points of any. Us being able to do that opens him up out there on the perimeter, and so. Um, he has my ball. ACC player of the year. 
I don't have a vote. You know, look, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you guys. I've been very hesitant to criticize RJ and large part A, my favorite current player on the team, and B, he's played at such a high level that he hasn't been the guy that we saw in November, in December, and the month of January. Um, and a big reason why Carolina was 2-3 and three in their last five games was he wasn't playing at that level. And today you you saw R.J. at his, at his best. 20 points on 13 shots, was 6 of 13 from the field, was 3 of 8 from 3. The shot selection was as good as it's been in a month. Um, even in the game against, you know, the, the, the wins over Duke and Miami, the shot selection wasn't where you needed it to be from your best player. Um, too many contested perimeter jump shots um, and, and too many times he was settling and as opposed to attacking. And today he got back to putting the ball on the floor, getting into the mid range, creating for himself and creating for others. And, um, you know, even in the in the recent you know slippage in the in, in production, I never thought that um, he was in you know on, on the verge of losing the ACC Player of the Year title because he's going to be the ACC Player of the Year. In my opinion, he's going to be an All American. Just a matter of which team he lines up on. But there's no denying for Carolina to finish the season strong. They need their best player playing at a high level, and it felt like R.J. Davis. Got on, got back on track with his performance today. Yeah, I mean, look, the last few games, he certainly wasn't the most efficient that he's been. Some of the shots kind of left you scratching your head, and it felt like a guy that was just really trying to do a little bit too much. But part of it was that he had to. And one of the things that we've talked about so much is that Carolina has to get production from other guys besides R.J. Davis. And we've started to see it to a certain extent from Armando Baycott. I think, you know, really this last stretch of games outside of the other night, Armando looked really good. Um, And I I think you saw it again today. When he gets the help around him, it takes the pressure off of him. He's not the guy that has to put up the most shots, and it leads to a more efficient game. And I I thought this was just the perfect game. In the first half, I think he set the tone for himself, scored 10 points in that first half um, and, you know, really settled in. And I think it was because he was attacking the basket. And you see by the way, uh, yeah, I mean, he he took eight shots from beyond the arc, but he gets the foul on six times, the most of anybody on the team. A lot of the driving kicks, he had five assists in this game. So it was just the mindset that I think Carolina as a whole brought to this game, but especially him to try to get some early looks inside and then open open his game up from the outside and he you know did a great job of knocking down those shots that he's been knocking down all year where he just creates enough space for himself and because of how quick his release is he's able to get the shot off over defenders you know with the last few games we've seen him try to do that but it just isn't falling today it was and he took advantage of that and you're right if, if Carolina is going to make a deep run in March you're going to need him to be on for six games. I feel confident that he's a guy that can do that considering what we saw 
early in the season from him and even dating back to the end of last season. Second piece of sound I want to play for your guys is from Armando Baycott. And um, if you listen to the last edition of the podcast where I recapped um, Hubert Davis's presser on Friday ahead of this game against Virginia Tech, Hubert was very pointed and forward about the importance of winning an ACC regular season championship. It, it, it still means something. Um, even for a program that, like Carolina, we're judged on what we do in March – um, and making Final Fours and winning national championships, we still value winning regular season titles. Um, and I, as a fan, value winning an ACC regular season title. And Armando spoke in the post game about the importance of them being in a position to do that and what it would mean to, uh, to win an ACC regular season championship. It hangs a banner up in this gym, and that's something that you come to UNC, something you want to do. You want to be able to be remembered, and to have a chance to possibly hang a banner, that's something huge and something you want to really accomplish. Hubert said that it's very important to him how your journey at Carolina ends. What's it mean when you hear your coach say that about you? It's special. That's some coaches echo to me since I mean, coming back and even the year before then. He really just cares how I leave my legacy here because he knows how much I love this school, this state, I mean, everything about it. And I'm similar to him and Coach Williams and Hoops and Tyler Hansworth and those people that, like, bleed Carolina blue. So, I mean, we all on the same team. <laughs> You know, something that we we haven't really spent a lot of time talking about this year, and and I think it's another reason why I've been hesitant to be overly critical in this recent stretch of bad play, is as much as we love this core and this group of kids, when you look at especially Armando and RJ, they're in a position where they've never been before. Like in RJ's four years, they've never competed for an ACC regular season title. And Armando, his fifth year, they've never been in a position to win an ACC regular season championship. So kind of like their head coach, who's never been in the position to coach a regular season champion, this is a learning experience, even for a group of a group that is as experienced. Cormac Ryan, even at Notre Dame, where I think they finished second Two years ago, never won an ACC regular season title. Harrison Ingram, his time at Stanford, Lord knows I never came close to finishing in the top half of the Pac-12. And so Dang. this is this is a group that, as, as, as experienced as they are, they've never done this. If this was 2017, 2012, 2009, no, the last five games we've been on, we, like, we would have had legitimate reasons to criticize – and be concerned because those groups and teams had been through it before. This group hasn't. And what you like about it is they're they're aware of the importance of winning an ACC regular season title. Um, as much as, you know, Huber talks about blocking out the noise and no sideshow distractions, he is making it known where they are in the standings and what's in front of them. And what's in front of them is an opportunity. And an opportunity that if you win an ACC regular season title, most times you're a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. And most times, history would tell us, you put yourselves in a situation to have a long and, and, and fun NCAA tournament run 
which leaves the legacy every Carolina basketball player dreams of having. And so, um, you know, I think Armando is is motivated by that. And I think five double-doubles in his last five games would be evidence of a guy that knows this is his last run at it. He is uh, going to exhaust any and every opportunity to win an ACC regular season championship. Well, I mean, look, you got to go back and just start with the conversation that Hubert Davis had with him before the Duke game. Because if that conversation doesn't get had, and it's a great job by Hubert Davis of realizing that the conversation did have to be had. Um, Some coaches may have thought to themselves, well, you know, this is our senior big man. Eventually he's going to figure it out that we need him to step up when, you know, you didn't really know outside of, you know, some of the people in that building. Uh, that he was a guy that had just thought to himself, okay, they need me to take a back seat this year because RJ ha- has sort of taken over that leadership role. And since that moment, things have really, really changed. Um, you know, we, we still come on here and talk about, even in the games where he's not scoring the ball all that well, he's getting position inside. It's just that at times, they have not been able to find him. I don't know why. There were a couple of times even early in the game today where we were scratching our heads as why are you not giving him a post-touch inside? Um, but you, it, it's definitely gotten better because you can tell that he is demanding the ball a little bit more. And you've also seen him do a much better job of finishing inside. Um, it just feels like the confidence is back there for him. Uh, he knows that Carolina needs him. And you know I think that's that's something that – uh, starting to bleed through, and yeah, this is what you you are going to need if you want to win an ACC regular season title. And ultimately, we've always known that ACC regular season titles matter at this school more than they do uh, for other for other schools. There are certain teams that value the ACC tournament. For Carolina, the last three titles that they've won, they haven't won the tournament to, in the ACC the year that they've won the national title. So. Clearly, in our minds, we're going to value it a little bit differently. Um, but it would be huge for this team to be able to, you know, one, have the double buy, which seems like that's going to be secured. Um, and two, you know, to be the number one overall seed in this conference and have the easiest path to get to the ACC title game, which I think, you know, could be a goal for this team. They, maybe they want both of them. Uh, but I think, you know, you, you brought up a great point and something I guess I, I didn't really think about and probably a lot of people didn't think about that most of these guys haven't been in this situation before, um, really any of them, uh, because it feels that that 21-22 run makes it feel like these guys are more experienced with tough situations than they really are because – Really, that was just a team that got hot. They, they weren't a team that the entire season was facing pressure-packed situations. Now, I will say this. I mean, being on the bubble is a different type of pressure, um, and they've certainly felt that over the last few years where you have to win the games in order to find a way into the tournament. But it's definitely a different type of pressure that they're feeling this year. Um, I think the concern that some people have is that it was similar to the type of pressure that they experienced as the number one overall team last year uh, starting this season. But it feels like, you know, this team, they just needed a reset. They needed to get home. They needed to play an opponent that um, wasn't nearly as desperate as some of the ones that they have run into recently, um, where they still believe that their tournament chances are 
are, are in the balance. I mean, again, Virginia Tech could have thought that coming in today. But Carolina just took advantage of this team the way that we wanted them to take advantage of some of the lesser opponents um, that they faced, or, or teams, I wouldn't say lesser opponents, that's a bad way of phrasing it, but teams that they feel like going in, they are better than. And this was a great example of them, especially you know, under four timeout, this game still wasn't over, but Carolina made sure that they not only you know put the, kept their foot on the gas, but were able to even extend that lead and pull away a little bit from Virginia Tech at the end, something we haven't seen them be able to do since they got into this little slump. Stat of the game um, was pretty easy. I went points in the paint. Carolina scored 54 of them compared to 36 for Virginia Tech. So Carolina did a really good job identifying the weakness of the Hokies, and they stayed relentless and were in attack mode uh, in that area all game long. Well, we've set the scene and given you given you our initial um, thoughts and takeaways from the win over Virginia Tech. You've you know, you, we went over the box score. You've heard from the head coach of the Tar Heels. You even heard from Armando Baycott. But coming up next, we'll get into more thoughts, more takeaways, and discuss Carolina's uh, seed in the NCAA bracket preview, which was revealed earlier today. But first, Anthony has a word from Autograph. That's right. Our sponsors, uh, one of the best out there. And look, guys, do you want to get rewarded for listening to our show? The team at Autograph, co-founded by Tom Brady, is redefining the fan experience by letting users earn points for the acts of fandom that they take every day, like listening to the show or reading our articles on the website. The Autograph Fandom app gives you access to your favorite UNC content all in one place and offers rewards like tickets, exclusive merchandise, and more. They actually sent people to the game today for a discounted price against Virginia Tech. So... In order to get those discounted tickets, guys, you have to have the app. You're already listening to our show. You're reading our articles on HeelToughBlog.com. But now you can earn points and get rewarded for it. Head over to the Apple App Store and search for Autograph Fandom Rewarded and download it for free using the referral code HeelTough. All one word, all one word HeelTough. Link and code are also in our podcast description. Appreciate Anthony delivering you that message from Autograph. They've been a fun uh, sponsor to team up and work with, and we can't see what they have in store for you guys for the rest of the basketball season. Let's get back to talking about this win over Virginia Tech. The first takeaway, we're going we're gonna to get back into what Armando Baycott did in that second half where 19 points, 8 of 11 from the field, was three of three from the foul line. He grabbed nine rebounds, and he played 19 minutes. And I think what's significant is not only just the production, he picked up his third foul early on in the second half when the ACC refs did what the ACC did, uh, refs do best, which is make a college basketball game about themselves. And you had five fouls called in 53 seconds. And, you know, you saw Armando Baycott motion to Hubert Davis. I'm fine. Leave me in. I'm not coming out. And he just continues. He would then proceed to really dominate on both ends of the floor. And I think that's where that experience really plays in, where you can have a fifth-year guy that you can trust to not pick up that fourth foul. Um, because Even though Jalen Washington was – 
making a difference on the game offensively. I mean, he was getting carved up like Thanksgiving Day turkey on the defensive end of the court. And so Carolina needed him, um, Baycott that is, to be out there and be the presence that he was. And it felt like every single time Virginia Tech would make a push and Dan Bonner would say, they've got it to seven. Oh, they've got it to eight. The ball would go inside to the guy in white wearing number five, and he would either turn and score get fouled, pass out of a double team in Carolina where where, where it was making buckets. And, you know, you would think after the way he controlled the Duke game, it would have been very evident the next time they played and moving forward, we're going to play for the big fella because good things happen when we establish him and we run our offense through him. Hasn't been the case. Um, Carolina been more guard perimeter or, or, or guard oriented, more perimeter oriented, and that's why they lost a game at home to Clemson. They shouldn't have lost, and lost a game at Syracuse that they shouldn't have lost. But you got back to it tonight. You know, Huber talked about it in that clip where they really wanted to establish him from the onset. And you know, with Carolina having five games to go, when they get back after this, you know, so do bye week, if you will. It's it's very evident. They play their best when they play through Armando Baycott. And, you know, he said after the Duke game, the ACC runs through me, and uh, he definitely ran his way through Virginia Tech to the tune of a 25-point, 12-rebound double-double this afternoon. Yeah, this this was arguably the best that we've seen him this year, just in terms of the shots that he was hitting. Um, He had a couple, you know, from about, you know, seven, eight feet away from the basket, just great job turning to – his uh, turning to his right, knocking down shots over guys. I, I mean, this is one of the most complete games that we've seen from him all year because, you know, that second half, as you mentioned, to stay in there and not pick up a fourth foul no. even was outstanding. That was that was massive because this was a team on the other end of the floor that could not stay out of foul trouble. Both of their guys pick up four, and I thought – you know, you, you wondered, okay, would he stay in attack mode on the offensive end of the floor, or would he become a little concerned about the fact that he could pick up an offensive foul? Look, defensively, you could see that there were times where guys drove to the basket and he just said, look, I got three fouls, still early in the half, I have to let you score here. I can't afford to pick up my fourth. But on the offensive end, that mindset never changed. He was aggressive the entire way, did a great job of establishing position each time. And I thought what Carolina did, it, the message was there clearly. I don't know if Hubert Davis was telling them um, on the sideline, you know, coming out of the half, or uh, if it was just a great job by these guys of, of realizing it. I would imagine it was a combination of old. But there were times even when the ball would go inside and the double would come he'd pass out of it, they'd go right back to him inside because they knew this was where the strength of this offense was. And, I mean, to me, yeah, I'm with you. This is is the offense that Carolina should be looking for more often. I I get it. There are times where teams are going to be able to take it away from you. There are good defensive bigs, you know, throughout college basketball. There's times where they're just going to be able to double Armando and – you know, there's other nights where Armando's just not going to be on the way that he was today. But for them to realize it, especially in the second half, and to continue to give the ball inside to him, 
I, I think was was huge because we've questioned at times whether this team really is able to do that. I, I you know, RJ Davis is a guy that it's it's so comfortable at times to keep it in his hands and let him create his own offense. But today, when Armando got hot, it was clear. Put the ball inside to him, let him go to work, and it resulted in Carolina's offense looking as efficient as it has um, you know, in, in a while. And the other thing is, is you look at the rebounding. First half from Harrison Ingram, he was outstanding. He had 12 rebounds in the first half. Second half, he wasn't nearly as effective on the glass. So Carolina needed somebody to step up and rebound at a high level there. I mean, not saying Ingram didn't. He still had five and a half. But Armando Bacow with nine rebounds on that end. So both ends of the floor, he comes up huge uh, in both of those big areas, rather. And you know, ultimately, it is to me, the biggest reason that Carolina won this game and as comfortably as they did. The second takeaway um, that we got to talk about here is and, and don't don't look now. Tuesday might have been the turning point in the season for Cormac. Mm. Um, mm. Four of nine. I thought he was supposed to be on the bench, though, right? Four of nine from three in that game. Um, and look, we, we talked about the turnovers, and that was frustrating because he's 25 years old. But I think that's just part of the Cormac Ryan experience. Tonight, 16 more points. Just four of 11 from the field, but all four of his makes were from behind the three-point line. And he did so on a seven attempts and then was four of four from the free-throw line. And that's that's the kind of offense, that's the kind of production we need from Cormac. Um, you know, it felt like every shot he took tonight uh, was good. He took one, like, turnaround jump shot that just didn't really make a whole lot of sense. But outside of that, the shot selection was there. And then, of course, the production was there because he made four threes. That's now eight made threes in the last two games where he's eight of 16 from behind the three-point line. Um, and, look, we, we know he's too good to shoot below 30% over the entire season. That's why Jimmy Dyke said if he even got the 34 35%, it would be a difference maker for the way teams have to defend him moving forward. And you saw that you saw that tonight where, you know, teams would, would close out really, really hard on RJ. You make the extra pass and you've got a career 40 percent three point shooter stepping into a rhythm three. And now he's seeing the ball go in the net. And, um, you know, there's no such thing as too little too late because Carolina has everything in front of them, both in the regular season, the ACC tournament, and, of course, the NCAA tournament. And we've stressed all season long that for Carolina to play and reach their true potential. And there was a point in time this was the third-best team in the country, in my opinion. And I think the way they played today, they look like the third-best team in the country. But for them to be a legitimate threat, a legitimate contender come March, they need him to be an offensive threat. And the last two games may have been the, the, the turning point in his lone season in Chapel Hill. And if that's the case, it couldn't have come at a better time for Carolina. Well, prior to the last two games, I mean, it, it had kind of hit the lowest of lows through the season on the offensive end. Um, he just was not being – I mean, he wasn't hitting anything from beyond the arc. But, yeah, I mean, the last two games – and the thing is, is, you know, we hadn't really mentioned it 
in the game against Syracuse because we talked about his turnovers. But that was really the first time that we've seen him play well, shoot well, and he doesn't end up getting hurt. Because there were other games earlier in the season where he shot the ball really well. And Mm -hmm. in both occasions, he gets rolled up on, he injures his ankle, and you wonder how much of an effect that has had on him um, throughout the year. Where now, you know, he has the big game against Syracuse, he shoots the ball well, and he makes it out of there without rolling an ankle. And then following that, after scoring 18 points in that game, he scores 16 in this game. So I don't really think it's a coincidence. And hopefully, yeah, this is what gets him back on track because four of seven from beyond the arc, that's extremely efficient. That's what you want. That's what you hope you can get um, more often than not from him. But you don't even need that. Just the made threes from the outside, being able to knock down those kickout shots, especially when he's open. Carolina's ball movement today was so good that there were times he was just wide open and he's catching and shooting it and knocking it down. The other thing you like, he got to the rim. Four of four at the foul line. So, look, he, he, he didn't hit a shot inside of the three-point arc, but still you like the aggression. When he's doing that, when he's driving the basket as part of his game as well, I think it allows him to be successful because one of the other things that I've noticed here's you know, when he's been struggling is that he really is becoming a catch-and-shoot catch type player. And, look, that is something that can definitely be a strength of his – if he can get himself going from beyond the arc. But he's also a guy that's more than capable of putting the ball on the floor and getting to the rim. So you want to see that from him. But the biggest thing today that you saw is he has been a guy that has really struggled as we've gotten into this middle portion of conference play with turnovers. Today, doesn't turn the ball over a single time and just look at how efficient Carolina's offense was. So all-around great performance from Cormac Ryan today. I also thought this was one of the better defensive performances that we've seen from him here recently. Um, and that's that's the thing, man. They had been screening the hell out of him, getting him to switch, go under screens. And they there were guys that were having a lot of success against him today. Really good performance on that defensive end of the floor. So, yeah, a ton of credit to Cormac Ryan in the way that he looked today, plus 15 when he was out there on the court. Can't really argue with that number. The last takeaway we'll talk about before we get to tonight's discussion topic, um, don't let the 81 points fool you. I thought Carolina defended and competed very well defensively. Um, the, the you, you gave up 81 points because of it was a high-possession game. I mean, you look at it. Both teams took, you know, Virginia Tech took 67 shots. Carolina took 68. Um, Virginia Tech took 20 free throws. Carolina took 23. Mm-hmm. Um, Carolina committed nine turnovers. Virginia Tech committed six. There was there were a lot of possessions being played this afternoon because Carolina was getting stops and running off of their misses and, and really applied the pressure – um, defensively, you know, you give up 81, um, but when you score 96, 81 doesn't doesn't feel too bad. But they shot 42% from the field and 27% from three. Those are the numbers that we got used to seeing in the middle of January, where 
low 40% from the field, below 30% from behind the three-point line. We talked about containing Hunter Couture and Sean Padula. Yes, they may have combined to score 21 points, but they were 6 of 23 from the field, and they were 1 of 10 from behind the three-point line. Yeah, Tyler Nickel came off the bench and gave you 14 and was 4 of 6 from three, but kind of expected that just uh, given the fact that it was a return game in the transfer portal era, he was motivated to play at a high level. And to be frank with you, I was fine with him making those shots because I didn't think he was good enough to beat us. Um, The other two guys very much capable of beating you because of how veteran they are. Um, And we've seen them quite frankly, beat us before they beat us last year. Um, They beat us two years ago in the ACC tournament. Like, those guys were key pieces of that. And so, you know, you look at what Carolina did defensively today. Don't look at the points for the the, the points allowed uh, given and say, oh, Carolina didn't defend. No, Carolina defended. They ran off of misses. And they looked like the defensive team we saw that month of January. Well, I mean, look, if you're going to look at the second half, and I I think that's where people are going to look and say Carolina didn't really defend all that well outside of beyond the arc. It was just too easy on the inside. I mean, I had multiple people tell me that after the game. Well, that was it was just too easy inside. Well, part of it is you got to give credit to Virginia Tech. Like these guys are basketball players. They're not stupid. They understand that when you got a big man that has a third foul as early as Armando Baycott does – Drive the lane, get inside, and he's probably not going to be able to defend the way that he was early in the game because he's going to be afraid of picking up that fourth foul. So I think that was part of it. Virginia Tech was just playing it smart. And I think that, you know, Carolina was able to adjust to it. And and you saw, you know, it didn't really matter. When you're scoring the way that Carolina was – you didn't necessarily have to lock them down. But, yeah, most important, you took away what this team does best, which is knocking down shots from the outside. only guy that hit a three in the second half was, of course, Tyler Nickel. Um, but, I mean, it just an all-around great day defensively against their two best players in Padula and Couture. Um, they basically helped you out by taking Lynn Kidd out of the game because he only played 15 minutes. Now, he had four fouls, so that was definitely part of it. But they weren't going to play him that much coming in. Uh, Apparently, that was part of the strategy because he just wasn't big enough inside. They didn't think they were going to be able to play him that much. So their three leading scorers really weren't as effective as you thought they were going to be. And then the guy that started the game hot, MJ Collins, and you thought, okay, this is going to be the guy that Carolina is going to have to find a way to slow down um, eventually. I mean, look, outside of that great start, you know, end of the first half on, he, he wasn't really the same player. He, he goes just two of six overall from uh, behind the three-point line, which was one of the things he was doing early to you, and is only 17 of 15 overall from the field. So, yeah, I watched the game today, and when I looked at the 81, I said, how in the world did this team get to 81? Because it really did feel like Carolina played pretty well on that end of the floor. But, yeah, I think the foul trouble is ultimately the biggest thing that you have to look for. If if Armando Baycott doesn't pick up that third foul, I think this game could have been even uglier because I think he could have, you know, done a better job probably of protecting the rim without having to worry about picking up that fourth foul. 
And they got they they got to eighty one because they were eighteen of twenty from the foul line too. Yep. Like you know they they were getting to the foul line. They were scoring with the clock stopped. It's easier to run that point total up when the clock's not moving and you're scoring. Uh, one 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 other thing, really quickly before we get to the discussion, uh, we mentioned this. You know in, in the in the in the open, um, you know the, the the bench provides fifteen points. Uh, headlined by Jalen Washington, seven. Jalen Withers and Seth Trimble both added, both added four. Um, and it may not feel like a ton of production when you look at the fact that Virginia Tech got 31 points from their reserves. But Carolina, you know, doesn't ask for their bench to score them a ton of points. You're just asking for an uplift and just a little bit, like anywhere from eight to 12 points. 15 points, I think, if you feel like a godsend because you feel like most nights out you're going to get 20 apiece from, you know, Armando Baycott and R.J. Davis. So you're looking just for, you know, those guys to supplement that. The most important thing those guys did was they they were able to give the guys, uh, the starters, some rest. Um, you had two guys play double-digit minutes off the bench. Trimble played 21. Washington played 10. And then Withers played nine. You haven't had that since the Duke game. Um, the Duke game, you know, Huber Davis opted not to play his bench that frequently. And then the the my you know the the Clemson game, you you don't have Seth Trimble, so now you're short, you're shorthanded. And then the other night, trying to work Seth back into the game, you weren't going to give him a lot of minutes anyway. You were going to wait till this game to really up the minutes for him. And so that's what I looked at and was. You know, yes, you like the production, you like their ability to to help them score, but I thought the biggest benefit they brought was R.J. Davis was able to sit for, you know, an extended uh, period of time in the first half. Same thing with Armando Baycott. Um, you were able to give your starters, which have been worn down here as of recent, some extra rest going into a week off. Yeah, and, and the thing about Trimble was, I mean, four points for him – before sis was spreading the ball around nicely, didn't turn the ball over, and brought so much to you defensively. And yeah, for him to play those types of minutes, for Jalen Washington to play double-digit minutes, Jalen Withers to play nine minutes and look effective. I mean, that's the thing. That's that's one element that I really did not understand. People were complaining again about how little this bench is used. For Carolina, but again, I, I, I implore people to go back to these games that Carolina has played recently and tell me which one of these games you'd rather see the bench guys in. Because if you would have put those guys in, you would have gotten blown out in some of those games. Or the Miami game, you play them more potentially. There's a chance you'll lose that game. So, to me, I, I think the usage thing is being overblown. Uh, but it was good to see these guys play really effective minutes for Carolina today, especially, you know, Elliot Cadell didn't have his best game. It allowed, you know, Seth Trimble to step in and play, you know, a very effective role off the bench for Carolina. And, I mean, look, as long as those three guys, I mean, Jalen Withers, I'd like to see him get back to playing the way that he was in the middle of conference play today. Looked sort of like that guy that we saw um, and, you know, Jalen Washington, I mean, you just want him to be able to contribute something on the offensive end primarily because at this point he's just not there defensively. 
but you'd like to see him be able to contribute something for you on the offensive end of the floor when he has to be in for Armando Baycott, which you know is is something that we've seen more often uh, than we probably like at times this year when a Baycott gets into some foul trouble early on in the first half of game. So uh, a really effective game from this bench and at least gives you a sign of hope that this bench is, is still kind of where we thought they were in terms of being more effective than they've been in years past. Now get into tonight's discussion topic. And usually we're talking about something coming out of the game or something like that. But this one, the, the, the tonight's discussion topic was set even before Carolina played. Um, and maybe it would have changed if Carolina would have lost, but um, this was still going to be talked about regardless on tonight's edition of the show uh, because earlier this afternoon, um, as we're, tomorrow will mar- we'll mark a month away from Selection Sunday, um, the NCAA tournament did unveil their top 16 seeds for this year's event. Um, this is the eighth year that they've done so, but the first time in five years has been appointment television for yours truly. Um, and I made sure to be in front of the television to see, you know, where Carolina was going to be. So I could get something up on the website. You can check that article out, heeltoughblog.com. Ultimately, Carolina was the number, was the top uh, two seed um, of, of all the teams that earned the two seeds. And, you know, they, they got placed in the East region, which features uh, the number two uh, overall seed in UConn, of course, the defending national champion. Their three seed was Iowa State, a team that I believe and many people believe uh, should have been a two seed when we got this bracket revealed earlier today. And their four seed was was Wisconsin, which at the time didn't make sense. Um, and after their loss today at Iowa, it's fair to say that they're not going to be uh, a four seed, you know, as of this moment, as we get closer and closer to Selection Sunday. Now, look, there's still a month of basketball to be played. A lot can change. A lot will change. But uh, were you surprised to see Carolina on the two line and to be the highest two seed of all of all the two seeds in the NCAA tournament's early bracket reveal? Uh, on the two line, no. Um, at number five overall, yes. Uh, that that did shock me a little bit. Um, and look, I mean, it makes sense to you know that it might be a little bit different than we planned. I mean, it's so tough to really tell the difference between some of these teams because a lot of those teams that are two seeds, I mean, you feel like they're, they're pretty much, they're pretty well grouped together. Um, But I I mean, ultimately I think you look at the way that Carolina has played against some of the quad one opponents. I mean, they're six and four overall there. They're five and one in quad two. So they've taken care of the two biggest quads. They also have not lost the quad four game and they've only lost once in quad three, of course, that was to Georgia Tech earlier in the year. So, I mean, look, resume-wise, it, it stacks up as a team that would be in that position. The problem was you you wondered if the recent stretch would potentially hurt Carolina. But, um, you know, there, there were some teams that I, I think we were shocked. I mean, I thought Iowa State would definitely be on the two line. Um, and, and that was one of the teams that you wondered if they could stand in the way of uh, Carolina Marquette, a team that's ranked number four overall in the country. 
Um, you thought they might be ahead of Carolina, but they, they're the seventh overall team. And then, um, I mean, some of the other teams like Tennessee, I, I, it makes sense why Carolina was over them. Kansas, Carolina should be ahead of them. I don't care. I know Kansas, a lot of people still love that team. Um, that team coming into today's action was one and five this season on the road. So um, I, I feel like, you know, Carolina, they, they definitely they're, – they're a battle-tested team. There's no doubt about that. So their resume has them deserving of a 2C. But, yeah, I was a little bit shocked to see them as high as, as they were. I think the only reason why I was surprised they were the, the number five overall seed and the number one two seed was just because of the work that Iowa State's done in the Big 12 mm-hmm. where you've got wins over Kansas and Houston – but they didn't play anybody in November and December. Like, and look, Iowa State's a fantastic team. T.J. Otzelberger is a great coach, and that program is going to be relevant for what feels like the foreseeable future. But when you hear ACC people talk about Big 12 teams gaming the system and, and, and really, you know, cheating the net, if you will, Iowa State's one of those teams because they don't play the schedule that Carolina plays in the non-conference season. And you like to see that Carolina's being rewarded for playing as tough a non-con as they did, despite losing to Kentucky and UConn. But that win over Tennessee, a quality non-conference win. You combine that with the home win over Duke, a team that um, was also in the top 16 overall seeds, which was re- uh, revealed in the bracket show. Those carry a lot of weight. And so um, what it should do if you're a Carolina fan is it should encourage you that as much as the ACC is down, and we're not going to have the ACC is down conversation because we'll be here till midnight, um, what, what Carolina has done it's not going unnoticed. It's being respected by this committee. And even though their chairman said that they all agreed on the teams that were the number one seeds, which were Purdue, UConn, uh, Houston, and Arizona, Carolina has a chance to be a number one seed. Now, it probably involves them going four and one at a bare minimum down the stretch in the regular season. It probably involves them at a bare minimum, making the ACC tournament final. But all that's still in front of them. And that's why after the Syracuse loss the other night, you know, I know that you, you've wavered on your belief in this team's potential. Like, I'm, I'm not there. And, and I think this just reinforces it that, you know, th- th- this team has done a lot of good things. Um, and they're capable of doing great things. And, you know, I think, um, you know, th- that could be something that could be used as motivation. Um, you know, Armando said that they, they, they would love to play in Charlotte. They know how important it is to play in Charlotte um, because of the, the, the history and track record of NCAA tournament success uh, in, in, in the Queen City. Um, and that's very much in front of this team. And all those things are still possible. And so, um, you know, I wasn't surprised to see Carolina as a two. Thought they would be the second two behind Iowa State, but um, you gotta like that you know, the, this kid, this committee is valuing, um, you know, the non-con as much as they're valuing the conference season. Um, and that bodes well for Carolina moving forward. I would like to say one thing: Can we please avoid UConn, if if possible? Because we watched that team today, and by the way, 
Um, there were some other things that were very shocking from the reveal. Like you mentioned, Wisconsin, San Diego State being as high as they were. Um, how is UConn not number one overall? Come on, man. That's the best team in the country. I, I know that Purdue is, has played really well this year as well. But Purdue has had some close games in the Big Ten, which I don't think is anywhere near the conference that the Big East is. And UConn is just smashing teams, man. That That is the best team in the country. So if Carolina could avoid that matchup, I get they would want to keep them in the East region. But, I mean, I, I would gladly take the storyline of having to go out West and having to play Arizona because I don't think they're – I know they're playing well. I don't think they are they would end up making it to the Elite Eight anyways. Um I uh, to me, I just I don't want any part of UConn right now, which is why getting to the one line would be amazing for Carolina. Yeah, look, um, there's no denying. I I I think I think UConn's the best team in the country. Um, Purdue's the number one overall seed because the work they've done in, in the first two quads is ridiculous. Um, and UConn's ba- the back half of their schedule. Well, like their schedule starting today heats up, um, and they're going to be playing a lot more of those those quad one, quad two type of games. With that being said, I watched Carolina go blow for blow with them in Madison Square Garden at a time before we we really be term, we we really became the team that we've become. So um, I welcome the challenge if Carolina gets that two seed um, of having to go through UConn um, because it is so hard to defend a national champion. And I think the East region, I think it's in Philadelphia. Last time the heels were in Philadelphia. No, it's not Philadelphia because they were just there two years ago, but you know, it's going to be, you know, in a situation where Carolina would be well represented. um, And and I'm not going to sit here as a fan of the best program in the history of the sport and be scared to go through another program. So, um, but We'll have to wait and see. Will the, the you know the cards will fall where they will fall, uh, but maybe a strong a strong close to the regular season, a good showing in the ACC tournament, and with help from some others, maybe Carolina works themselves into that one line. Well, this is going to wrap up this edition of the Four Corners podcast, guys. Before we let you do it, we do encourage you visit the website heeltoughblog.com where you can go and check out about Carolina earning that two seed in the NCAA tournament bracket preview, a little bit more in depth about Carolina's region and its projected bracket as of right now. A recap of the Virginia Tech game has also been posted, Um, and you can go and read about Carolina's win over the Hokies earlier this afternoon. With Carolina having a week off, doesn't mean the coverage stops. Some opinion articles will be hitting the, the hitting the website this week as I continue to take you through the remainder of the hoop season. As for the podcast, guys, you know where to find us. Every major podcasting platform. Simply search the Four Corners podcast, and we will pop up. We're there. We do encourage you guys to rate, review, and subscribe. That way, you don't miss any editions of the show throughout the remainder of the season. Just a little preview for what's to come this next week with Carolina off. Nada Edwards, the eye on college basketball producer, he's going to stop by. Walker Mail, the host of the Wesson Walker Show, the show I produce on WFNZ, lifelong Carolina fan. He's going to make his show debut. We've heard rumors about a new arena uh, and maybe uh, renovations coming to the Smith Center. That's a pretty big deal. Anthony and I will talk about that individually in a separate podcast. So even though Carolina is all for a week, 
The coverage doesn't stop. Hit that subscribe button. That way you don't miss any editions of the show throughout the remainder of the basketball season. Well, with that, guys, it is going to wrap up this edition of the show. I want to thank all you guys that tuned in live. I want to thank Anthony for hosting with me. We want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. <laughs>